Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And good afternoon. Welcome back. It is Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. Craig Mish, Joe Pizzapia. You can follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish, at Joe Pizzapia17. If you missed the first hour of our show, where have you been? But don't worry, we got it all covered for you again. We're going to go over more of the baseball labor discussions. And, of course, we talked about that at the top of the show. Also, a little bit later, we'll get into the uh, documentary with uh, what was on Father's Day. Really good documentary with Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr., and you know, certainly talk about all of the latest news and notes. Toronto Raptors headed to Florida, but headed to the West Coast of Florida to get themselves ready for the season. Uh, the you know, unfortunate situation with Bubba Wallace and the uh, NASCAR race that finished off yesterday. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, but, Joe, we'll start off with a little bit more uh, football discussion this hour. Last hour, if you're catching us here on YouTube, go back on demand, hit that rewind button. You can hear us discuss whether or not we believe the Buffalo Bills and Cleveland Browns will make the playoffs in 2020. This is all courtesy of the FanDuel Sportsbook. But today we're going to dive into a little bit more of the divisions. And, Joe, we're going to head to the AFC uh South is it? Wait, what are the that is correct. Are? Yeah, that's okay. correct. <laughs> there you go. AFC South. I get, get confused sometimes with this stuff. That's okay. uh, we'll do the AFC South and AFC East today. And one of the great things about uh, FanDuel is that they have odds essentially for all of the teams where they'll finish within the division. Some odds are better than others, so you got to you know sort of place the best risk versus reward on these. But the Colts, before we get into 2020, Joe, I, I thought that. They started off last year as a very big surprise, losing arguably the most important player on their team. It was really important that they made the statement that they did by signing Jacoby Brissett, and I think that that gave them a little bit of a lift after Andrew Luck retired. But inevitably, you know, look, not a lot of film on Brissett playing with New England and even with Indianapolis, and I think that the Colts were able to manipulate that through the first half of the season. Unfortunately, the second half of the season... Uh, you know, they get the film oh, and they had injuries too. T.Y. Hilton got hurt. Marlon Mack got hurt. Brissett got hurt. I mean, it was a combination of exposure and also injuries that, you know, eventually when a team has already lost their star quarterback a week before the season starts, there's just only so much you could do. But man, for the first six weeks of the season or eight weeks, even they seemed like a team that was, you know, kind of almost, you know, on that playoff parameter, at least, and something that you had to really pay attention to. And unfortunately, things didn't go well. But what I found so interesting about this is I know you're not really on the Colts as much as I am. I love Frank Reich as a football coach. Uh, again, I, I, you know, talent is one thing. But this is the NFL. You need coaching. You need systems. You need a plan in place. And I think those teams that have the better coaches always t- tend to win out typically and it was a terrible situation for Frank Reich last year. But FanDuel kind of feels, I think, I feel like a little bit more bullish on the Colts kind of like me as opposed to where you're at, which is kind of, I don't want to say sour on uh, Philip Rivers, but let's say uh, sour on Philip Rivers. It, it seems right. I, I would say if we look at their odds here, they have them plus 135 to finish first and plus 160 to finish second. But remember, uh, there's no minuses at all here. So it's basically a little bit of a crapshoot. There's no like overwhelming plus 100, plus 110, plus 120 favorite. Uh, clearly, you're getting value if they finish second, third, or fourth. Uh, the, the number that surprises me the most is fourth because I would think that this should be a higher number. It should probably be, uh, you know, 12 to 1, 13 to 1. They have it under 10. Yeah. And no matter how poorly I feel about the Colts, I am also not stupid. (laughs) If if they finish behind Jacksonville, they really, really. I mean, look, it could happen. I mean, strange things happen in the NFL. But, I mean, things would really, really have to go wrong for them. And they could literally, I think, win six games and still finish third. So I'm going to eliminate fourth. I don't see enough value there. I would love to take a shot at them finishing last in the division because that's how I feel about them. But I just I can't do it. it I want a 15 to one or a 17 to one. I'm only getting nine and a half. So I'm going to pass there. Um, I think yeah, I, I mean, it's on the three though because third seems. I, I'm, you know, I would take them third. That's the way I would place it, and and I feel good about it. But but I understand what you're saying. When we get to, we're going to do New England here, and you'll see that their odds are much better, and so that's like a plus one ten, plus one twenty. I don't think that they're sending that message here with with the Colts. I think that they're telling you that they're going to either finish first or second, and mm-hmm. that's fine. But 
uh, for me, this is where my it's it's not factual and it's not reading the line. It's just my personal opinion from watching a player play that I don't think that Rivers has anything left. So I think that they're going to have a bad year, and I think that plus 350 is my number. But, you know, certainly it does look like first or second uh, falls into play here, but no value on finishing last. Well, I think you also have to take into account the division very much so. And, you know, Tennessee had a phenomenal run last year, but you and I have seen that happen before where you have a team that has a magical run and then they can't quite reenact that same magic the following year for whatever reason. You know, sometimes teams and things just click. This is sports, right? This is that stuff that you talk about. Who would have thought that they would go in and beat New England and then Baltimore in successive weeks? If I told you that this time last year, you would have said that I'm absolutely out of my mind, right? Of course, it would never happen, right? But it did, and those are the unpredictable things in sports. But far more predictable is the the point of view of those teams that have those magical runs falling short the following season because sometimes the stars align and everything breaks right, but not always the case. And I think that really opens up this division for the Colts to win again. And I look at the cluster that is the Texans. And I got to tell you, man, I, I am I am out on the Texans this year. Dave, you want to talk about done? David Johnson looked done. David Johnson looked like he could not walk, and now he's going to be the running back in this offense. I'm, I'm sorry. I am skeptical of that. I am enormously skeptical. Maybe it happens. I hope it does for his sake. But if you were watching last year, you saw a guy that physically could not move trying to run the football, and you talk about back injuries being the end of careers. Well, there is one for you that I think it's over. It's done. I don't want it to be, but it just feels that way. And you lose your best wide receiver, and you didn't get enough back for him, and, 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 and. I feel like this is the Colts division to lose, but I thought you'd be very tempted by that third place because if you think the Titans and you think the Texans can be better than the Colts, then three plus 350, is that not an interesting wager for you? Yeah, I think that's what I would consider. I think that this is a nine and seven division winner this year. It's something like that. I, I don't think anybody runs away with it. I, I Listen, I got burned by Houston last year. I didn't think they'd be good and and, um, and they turned out better. I, I, I see Indy... Um, Tennessee and Houston all about the same. I'm not as down on Houston as you. Uh, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think they'll be a four and twelve team. You know, they could be six and ten. Um, and I, and I just again, I just don't I, look. The, the coaching for Indianapolis is probably the best in the division. Absolutely. And that's the only reason why I wouldn't say throw that dart and pick them last. That's the only reason. Oh, it's not that's, that's, that's crazy to pick them last, I think. Yeah, it's not. Look, Miami won a lot of games last year. Miami yeah. won a lot of games last year with less talent than Jacksonville. So, I, I uh, you know, again, uh, I, I would love to see Jacksonville's odds there. I mean, I, I feel stronger about Carolina finishing last than I do about Jacksonville. Well, I guess tomorrow we'll have to circle back and see what Jacksonville's are. So stick around. Next time uh, on tomorrow's show, and you'll get it. See, this is why you watch us every single day. You guys are the lucky ones, not us. They, well, we're all. All right, <laughs> New England, uh, New England in 2020. Uh, they're plus 120 to win the to win the AFC East. So pretty, uh, pretty, you know, much where they've been the last few years. I'm sure that they were a favorite. Oh, no, they were a minus. They minus <laughs> yeah, they were a minus for many, many years. The fact that they're even a plus is the first time in probably, I don't know. Yeah, you may as well take it. More than a uh, decade. Se second plus 210, third plus 350, fourth plus 750. It's, it's, this is very all over the map here. It could be, <laughs> it could be first all the way to fourth. There's really no value on them. You know, finishing third here, I don't think. I mean, that's not really saying anything. It's I think I think you know, you know, this is one of those where it's like I pick first or last. That's it. It's very Ricky Bobby of you. That was very Talladega Nights. I, I like. feel like those are the only values there. Well, uh, that's that's the thing. I, I I'm actually kind of surprised that first is even plus one twenty. I thought it might be. I don't know, more tempting. They might be tempting you a little bit more to get on there and say, oh, yeah, do you still believe in the Patriots? Well, let, maybe I can offer you this and you see if you really still believe in them. I, I don't know. I mean, the Patriots have been so good for so long, but we take Brady out of that equation. I think it's just incredibly difficult just to figure out. And you're not going to know in preseason either. So there's not going to be any clarity until you get into the season. And it might be a first or last scenario, but the thing is, with last man, then you'd have to have them finish below the Jets and the Dolphins. And I don't know, man. I, I don't think you look at that defense and think that that's possible. So as much as the plus 950 for the Colts, I think, is a throwaway. You don't even pay attention. I would think the same thing about this plus 750, wouldn't you? I don't think a defense that good is going to finish last. No, I think I, I, that, it, I, I don't know what. I don't know what's going to happen with them. So I so that I would I would feel more comfortable with going that route. I mean, maybe the whole thing just does fall apart. I don't think so. The last time that this happened— and, and they needed a new quarterback. The guy came in and, and got you know, $100 million. Wait, is that, the, is that everyone's worst? I 
is a loaded question for you, but this is everyone, like, if that happened, let's say everything fell apart, they were the last place team, no Brady, defense was great, but you know what, just too much strain, all this stuff, and the losing of the leadership, blah, blah, write that narrative, and they finish last, and they get a shot at Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> like, oh my god, like, is that... Do people realize it. that you? I know it would be, but do, do people realize as they're rooting against this that you might just be turning that into the next twenty years of the Patriots winning Super Bowls? Like I don't. Yeah, I, don't I think mean that, the, the problem that. is it's hard. It's hard to envision unless they start off poor, like a one and four, and then at that point the Patriots will be smarter than everybody else and they will trade everybody to get that first pick. I can see that happening, but it is so hard for me to envision them being worse than Carolina and Jacksonville. Like that is the problem for me. I mean, but well, again, last year the Dolphins were 0 and 8, and they traded their whole team, and they ended up winning a bunch of games. So, it did. and you know no. what? They I mean, and, and I want to know how long Belichick that. wants to be there for. Like, in all know. fairness, they almost lived to regret that too, because if Tua had not gotten hurt, they would never have gotten Tua. So okay. that I that I don't know falling. what in the world they were doing beating New England the last game of the year. I don't know but, what but, in the world they were doing beating Philadelphia. And they got like, Tua I, anyway, who arguably is the they better. Got like, they got lucky. They got lucky. Tua got very lucky. And and I think that that's something over the Dolphin fans got to just realize, well, everything just broke right for me. And that ended up happening. And I don't think you can count on something like that. But I don't know if, if there's one team that you could make a case of like you're just trying to figure out this year. And I can't believe we're here, but it's the Patriots where you just nobody knows. This is an Very all world defense and offense. You have no idea what they're going to be. I think the quarterback's going to be capable, but they don't have a star at running back. They don't. They have a bunch of guys. And I think they're just going to try to run teams down and play defense. And they're going to be ugly. Like, this is going to be ugly games. I'm just putting – remember, like, the old Steelers when Ben Roethlisberger first showed up when they went to the Super Bowl with yeah. that team? When it was just Jerome Bettis. And, but at least they had Jerome Bettis. It was a Hall of Fame running back. Like, they don't have that guy here. And that's why it's very difficult to gauge what this team's going to be. I, I think the money's on second there at plus 210. That seems the safe bet, which I'm actually surprised that it's even that. Like, I, I'm surprised at that number. They're giving it to you there. But I don't know. I think it takes a lot for them to win this division again. I, I think it's I think it's the Bills division to lose. I really do at this point, Craig. It's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating uh, team for me this year because – I'm kind of going in and thinking that they're first or their last. That's that's sort of the thing for me. Like I, I don't. I mean, are they just going to be an eight oh, and eight team? It's it's, tr it's, tr it's difficult because you have the enigma of the Adam Gase Jets. <laughs> like nobody knows that has any idea. I mean, Jamal Adams wants out. Who knows what Darnold's going to end up being in the long run? Le'Veon Bell's not happy. That that seems like a situation ready to implode. Then the Dolphins, which just seems like a, a, a situation in progress, but two is not going to play that much this year. Uh, it's crazy, man. It's really difficult to peg. It's a tough one. Tough one. All right. Uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to head on over to uh, Joe's Fantasy Black Book and see who he's got. So some late round draft picks for those of you who were involved in fantasy drafts in the month of June. We'll hit on that next as Fantasy Sports Today rolls on right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Some key decisions for fantasy football season will be made in a couple of months from now, but it's always a good time to... Take a look at some potential players that, like we talked about earlier in the draft, who's the next Robert Brooks, who's the next Larry Johnson. Uh, listen, it's a different time now. Everybody knows who the sleepers are. Everybody knows how to get an edge. It's not quite the same as waiting for that magazine to come in the mail now. Now it's a purple book or a black book. No, it's not purple. It's black, and it's Amazon, and it comes right to your house, especially two days if you have Prime, the fantasy black book. Number one in your heart. That's right. <laughs> Not the purple book. <laughs> Brought to you by. <laughs> Brought to you by. No, but seriously, who's going to buy the purple book after after your Listen, whole spiel about I'm it. not doing really well and all my, I mean, literally, hour one, you're like, yeah, I'm in that home league for 30 years, I'm not doing really well in it anymore. I used to be really good, but buy I my really purple book. Yeah. I've been disappointing the last two years, seven and six, six and Because you don't start preparing and you, you do this whole thing now. Because I don't start preparing on June 23rd. That's no, but this year you are because you have no choice. I and I guarantee choice. you. Yeah, I mean, what else like, you well, you prepare like August uh, 22nd. That's when you start preparing. And I don't think that's enough nowadays to beat the pack. I, I think it's I could start preparing the night before. <laughs> well, how's that working though? Because I mean, you, you have I've any... started preparing the night before in the last 20 years. I don't, I'm not going to change my... Listen, well, it, it's just it's just the thing is, is that 
everybody knows who everybody is now. And that's, that's. Well, and that's why relative position value is important because everybody's got these rankings and these tiers and all these things, but it's not enough. You have to quantify it. And if you can't quantify it and understand where the drop off, see, that's the thing. It's like opinion doesn't make a strategy. That's, that's the one thing that I'm trying to get people to understand in fantasy. Like there's a lot of really good informed opinion. You have, I have a lot of great analysts have it, but that's not enough. That's something you mold into a strategy when you can have rankings that are quantified that tell you exactly how much better a guy is than another guy than another guy and where the positive and negative players are. When you can do that, that makes a lot more sense. And all of a sudden you can apply that. And that's why it's a game changing thing there. And that's my sales pitch for you for, for the black book. Purple book, I don't know what it's got in there. I think it's mostly pictures, maybe a pop up. I think you open it, there's a pop up of Craig Mission and the hair grows, which is really cool. I got to say, that's really fun. By the way, uh, I know the salons here in New Jersey are opening up. Uh, Florida, any any luck for you or no? Or we we, all, we are open. We're we're working through that. Remember, I just got done with the storage unit a month ago. You know, that's true. Uh, we once a month. Convince, there's, there's some convincing, and my and my wife likes the way that my hair looks long, and she's giving me a hard time about cutting it. So, hey, look, if your wife likes, it, she wants to run her fingers through the silky hair of Craig Nish. I, it's it's I, a I, dynamic that I that I can't explain, but it looks okay <laughs> for this show. But once the show is over, it, it gets out of hand. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. My this friend. is true. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at the AFC North and see if we could find some uh, potential, uh, you know, sleepers or I don't know what the word is for it anymore. But there's no such uh, thing as sleepers. Late round the values. So late round values. Like, are you sure you really round. want to hit your wagon at Deontay Johnson in every league this year? Are you really sure you want to do this? Yeah. 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 I do. Oh, yeah. Very much so. All right. Did you see what he did last year? Did you see what he did last year? Do you see what's happening? You're getting Roethlisberger back here. Ben Roethlisberger two years ago threw for 5,000 yards, okay? Even if he just throws for 4,200, which is much more Ben Roethlisberger-like, you're, you're telling me James Conner stays healthy for 16 weeks? No, I'm not buying that. They're going to have to throw the football, okay? They're going to have a combination of different running backs in there, and we'll get to them in a second. But with Deontay Johnson right now, again, at the value of around 10, Craig, this is a guy that I think can get to 1,000 yards. I'm sorry. You're going to give me a 1,000-yard wide receiver in round 10, I'm going to take him every single time. This offense allows for that. It's there. We talked about that earlier segment there in the first hour about Robert Brooks and Brett Favre and, you know, how much you're going to throw the football. There's going to be targets available. Where are those targets going? James Washington's had his his moments, and he Not continues really. to disappoint. No, I'm saying I'm saying his opportunities. Not his moments to be good, like his moments that were good. I mean, right, he's so had like, his moments I mean, to I, shine I, in the I, past. I, I hope that Deontay Johnson is better than James Washington because I, I oh, remember being asking. told that James Washington was going to be really good. Well, Mike Tomlin was the one telling you. He was selling everybody the bag of goods on yeah, James Washington. I can't Washington. believe what they said. Well, you know, what I can believe is a guy that had 60 catches and 680 yards with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph playing quarterback last year. You know what? That the I think. The guy with the other, uh, Juju was hurt, wasn't he? Juju was hurt and not hurt and in the game and not in the game. It doesn't matter because Juju moving back to the slot this year officially changes that dynamic because now you're going to have him where he's most comfortable. So there's definitely a thousand plus yards for him. And there's definitely a lot more out there. The tight end is Eric Ebron. He's not a high-valued tight end in terms of volume. So Deontay Johnson is one of these guys. Again, round 10, a guy that's going to catch 80-plus balls, maybe 1,000 yards, that kind of ceiling. You want him. Round 10 is a great value. And the other two guys here are the other two running backs because, like I said before, James Conner is not a guy that I'm counting on. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I'm rooting for James Conner. He's a great story. But I think you have to be careful about which guy you take in which format. I think Benny Snell in standard leagues where you don't get the point per reception or non-PPR, as we probably should call it now, and not standard, because the standard is now PPR. I think Benny Snell is the guy that you want in those drafts later rounds. Pick him up, because you never know when Connor's going to get hurt. And Jalen Samuels, the other guy in the PPR leagues, because although Samuels had some opportunities last year, again, I can't, I can't judge too much about the running game last year with the way the quarterback play was. It just wasn't good enough to really get a judge of any of these guys and how good they could potentially be. But when Roethlisberger is capable in the pocket back there of completing passes and moving the chains, then all of a sudden a guy like Jalen Samuels, if Connor is not out there, can be a guy they can fill in. It could even turn into one of these crazy scenarios like the 49ers had last year where a lot of guys are just in and out in rotations. But I think those guys are basically in those specific formats worth late round speculation for the Steelers. The Browns is much harder. Because yeah, the Browns, I, I mostly like guys got to pay Snell, so. Yeah. Well, but I think Benny Snell is more of the standard. Like, I don't think he's going to catch a ton of balls. That's not his strong suit, but he's going to get you some touchdowns. So I think in the standard league, you like him. I think people have given up on him too soon. I agree with that. I Well, uh, you know what? They're they're on to McFarland already. 
which I don't know in this COVID world if that is realistic yet. Maybe in the second half of the season, that's more of a guy that you might want to add in week eight or something like that. I don't think that's a guy you want to draft pre-week one. And I think that's the difference with McFarland as opposed to Benny Snell. Uh, the Browns, a lot of those guys you got to pay for. You got to pay for Hunt and Chubb and all these guys, which is funny because we get to Austin Hooper where there, there's so much negativity in Austin Hooper going to the Browns from the Falcons that he's almost become a value now around eight where I think you can do a lot worse than Austin Hooper as your low end tight end one. And I don't know if you kind of agree with this, but I understand that the Cleveland scenario was not necessarily as beneficial to the tight end as it's been. But if you go back and look at Stefanski's track record, you know, Rudolph's had some pretty productive seasons and Austin Hooper is a far better receiving tight end than Kyle Rudolph. So I feel like we're suppressing him so much that it's actually gone to the other end of the spectrum where now Hooper at round eight or nine, even sometimes almost becomes a value, Craig. Yeah, I think that when I look at it, and I'm you know, trying to see here about uh, Hooper's targets last year, I, I I think that there's plenty for him in Cleveland. Like I, I, agree. I agree with this. I, I don't. I don't, understand why, I don't understand why he can't be 80 percent of what he's been. Well, because he's people look at well, the lack of productivity for Njoku, and they're trying to make the equivalent of all. Maybe the just Njoku's not that great. Well, maybe Njoku's not kind of great, but also maybe it's just an offense that doesn't know how to get the tight end open in space or look for we'll the tight end. We'll find out this year. We will find out this year, and I think that's – it's the combination of the unknown along with new player, new team, along with no track record for the Browns. But there's no track record for the Browns with the tight end. You can't blame that on Stefanski. He just got there, so you don't know yet. So I think it's too soon. The Ravens have uh, two interesting guys, too. Uh, one's J.K. Dobbins, who's the rookie selected in round nine. I'm still a Mark Ingram guy because I think he's still not getting enough credit, but I have to be realistic about Mark Ingram. Even though I'm the guy every year is saying, that's all right, I'll still keep taking him. You don't want him, I'll take him. You're going to pass him up, I'll take him. And every year he shows up and every year he's productive. At a certain point, the volume is going to catch up with him like it does every running back. And I think it's bears notice that even last year you saw Gus Edwards and some other guys get carries there. A lot of people were trying to write the Justice Hill narrative last year that didn't quite come to fruition. But Dobbins, it seems like, might have that opportunity. This might be more of a draft and sit scenario and wait things out. But I think it's a guy in round nine that you might want to contemplate because I think he has a better chance of potentially seeing more time as the season goes on. How do you feel about Dobbins? Because you're a guy who probably saw him a lot more than I did in college. Yeah, I'm not a fan of of, uh, of Dobbins. And so um, I know Baltimore knew that Miami was going to take him in the draft. So they kind of snaked them and, and moved up a pick. But it wasn't really a position of need for them. Look, certainly the kid could end up being a good running back in the NFL. He did not have a strong track record outside of his final year at Ohio State of being a star there. And and it's not like he's walking into a situation, as you mentioned, with Hill and Gus Edwards there, as well as Ingram. So, I mean, for Dynasty, I think it's like you have no choice. It's like right. he's a running back taken in the first round. But again, you know, Ronald Jones was taken in the second round, and Royce Freeman was taken relatively early in the draft, too. Right. And look, players are just busts sometimes. And I'm not saying Dobbins is going to be a bust, but I didn't see anything with him playing at Ohio State outside of the unbelievable games that we saw him play, especially in the championship. Uh, but I, I'm just, I'm not going to be in on Dobbins yeah. unless I'm forced to in a dynasty league. Like, look, if I have the eighth pick at a rookie dynasty and then he's the, he's the running back left and Akers and some That's of those other guys are gone, got to do it. Yeah, but, I think, uh, I think Brown, Brown, Brown I think, ball. has a lot more upside. Marquise. Well, Marquise Brown is the guy I want to talk about because this is a guy who came out of the gate really well last year. Round eight this year he's going. Uh, he seemed to have the best connectivity with Lamar Jackson, but his problem was he kept getting hurt. Now, again, that's a problem because if you're not on the field, you can't help, but that's kind of baked into the cost here. So round eight, there's potential. And I think you look at some other things too and some of the uncatchable balls that Lamar Jackson threw. You hope that there's improvement there. Uh, there was improvement year over year last year's. So you would hope there's another step up there. And the last one here in the North, we have the Bengals, which is two wide receivers that whether or not you feel good about AJ Green is whether or not you should get involved here because Tyler Boyd in round seven and John Ross in round 12. Ross was another guy like Brown came out smoking hot in the beginning of the season. Then again, injuries and some other issues there, but Tyler Boyd already has a thousand yard season to his credit. John Ross, the speed I'm not quite ready to give up on yet. These are guys you can take later on as kind of builders for your roster, but I think there's value here in terms of potential opportunity in round seven for Boyd and round 12 for Ross. Is there one of these guys that you like more or less or neither? 
if you look, Boyd had every opportunity to, be, to become a star last year, and I don't really think he took full advantage of it. There were a lot of goose eggs for him during this. Well, season. do you think that's because Green wasn't on the field? Because there was a narrative last and year. And he may not be it, this year. He well, may but not here's be the, this year. Here's the funny thing. It's too murky for me. In 2018, the games where A.J. Green wasn't on the field, Boyd actually had some good games in there. So people wanted to say, oh, it doesn't matter. Boyd's going to be Boyd no matter what. Well, it turned out that wasn't the case when we put it in, into action. So without Green there. Now, I don't know if you want to look I, back I on it and say, say that if AJ Green, I would say if A.J. Green gets traded, then mm-hmm. I would predict we're not we're missing a name on Cincinnati as being the number one wide receiver this year for that. Well, it's a lot to ask T. Higgins to be that guy. Maybe and I don't think it's and I don't think it's Alden Tate either. That's the I'll only go with other T. Higgins. Guy. That's the guy I would go with. Now, I like T. Higgins a lot, and he's another guy basically going undrafted in a lot of leagues. That if you're in a deeper league, I would. That's the one the I would go. Craig saying I, I, that was a guy to me that I was kind of shocked the low evaluations he got, and, and I kept watching him on Saturdays, and we talked about him that. I was like, this guy's pretty good. Why is somebody so down on him? I don't get it, Craig. And the other thing, too, is, is again, you don't have a veteran quarterback throwing to his veterans. I mean, Burrow comes in with a clean slate. Why not throw to the rookie? So, um, I, I mean, I just – Boyd was a disappointment for me last year with all of the opportunities that he got. I understand he came up huge at the very end of the season for a lot of people in fantasy. I think week uh, 15 or 16, something like that. But um, sort of out on both guys, although Ross does have some deep uh, value. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Hopefully you had a good Father's Day on Sunday. I know we're 48 hours removed from uh, Father's Day, but certainly not 48 hours removed from one of the better uh, specials, documentaries that was on uh, MLB Network, a really interesting one uh, on Ken Griffey Jr. And of course began more or less, you know, showing us who he was as a young kid and on Father's Day showing really some of those highlights of of Joe, of him playing with his father Mm -hmm. on the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, certainly that's, Something that we've talked about quite a bit here on the show. Will it ever happen again? It's hard to see it. I'll maintain I do believe in the NBA it will happen. I believe LeBron will play uh, at some point with his son. Uh, but I don't know. You know, it's 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 a tough call because you have to have like a Juan Soto situation, you know? Like you got to <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. think about it. I mean, Griffey, I mean, Griffey came up at 18 or 19. Soto was like the third option on that team to play. It was behind yeah. Kendrick and behind Robles and just everybody mm-hmm. was hurt. They called him up. He's 18. He gets to play. It's kind of like how it would have to happen unless it's deliberate where where they make it happen in, in some way. And, of course, it'll never happen in the NFL, I don't think. And LeBron James was part of this documentary. So when I watched that, that discussion we had before was like, I was like oh, wow. It, Maybe. it made you really – it, it, it drove it home a little. Yeah. <laughs> Is there something I could wager on FanDuel about it? Because let me tell you, man, I was, I was like, well, he's done this thing about Griffey. I mean, he's definitely going to hold out now for his kid. I mean, without a doubt, he if you put a wager is. on that. Uh, but this was this was great. Uh, it was uh, a great retelling and I think um, memorialization, basically, of a great era in baseball there, which is, you know, that Ken Griffey Jr. Mariner era where he saved a franchise. This franchise was ticketed to move to another place. A lot of people forgot that. The one thing about the documentary that, that kind of bugged me was this part because they basically just picked up a piece from their Mariner documentary about the 95 Mariners that I've seen which is all about that story of how they are on the precipice of moving. And, you know, there was a vote that night of the playoff game and all of this stuff and how that Ken Griffey Jr. scoring in that incredible moment, that first to third, that incredible run that everybody remembers, that kind of saved everything. And that was the moment. And then they built Safeco Field, the house that Griffey built, right? That bugged me that they basically picked up the exact piece of that documentary and just dropped it in word for word into that one. I was kind of like, oh, I get it. It saves everybody some editing time, but it was a little like, okay. But overall, a very interesting documentary and fun to go back. And one of the players that was, you know, in my youth, I mean, we started wearing the the hat, the caps backwards, man. I mean, nobody was doing that till Griffey, really. We all started doing it. I remember being 12, 13 years old in baseball camp, having a Mariners hat, wearing it backwards because we all thought Ken Griffey was the coolest. And the joy of Ken Griffey Jr. in those first you know, eight to 10 years of his career there with the Mariners compared to Ken Griffey in the Cincinnati years who looked like a guy who was, 
I don't know if I'm right or wrong in this, but this was just my impression. A guy who was more frustrated than anything, probably frustrated that his body was betraying him more than anything else. And maybe he wasn't living up to the expectations he set for themselves. But I always feel like there's Ken Griffey Jr., Kingdom Ken Griffey Jr. Then there was everything afterwards. You know, Safeco wasn't quite the same because he got in that whole conversation about when he wanted to leave and all that. But and then Cincinnati, obviously the injuries and not being able to fulfill I guess the promise and your friend actually made that trade for Ken Griffey Jr. So how about that? So Tim Bowden did make that trade. Yeah, I, I think that your analysis is actually spot on um, with, with Ken can Griffey we cut, Jr. Brett, can we clip this? I want to clip this, Brett. Can we? I'm, it's never going to happen again. You know, I, I watched it with my son and I watched it with my wife as oh, well. Oh, he must have loved it. He, he loved it. And, and you know, what's, what's interesting is because I can give a completely different perspective than a lot of other people. <laughs> and... Uh, in terms of his years with Seattle, I can't speak to that because, again, he comes up in 89 and 90 and 91. I mean, I am still in high school at that time. I am not covering baseball. I'm watching it. I'm seeing the same things that you are. So I don't know how he was when he was in Seattle, but I can tell you that the guy that he was in Cincinnati was uh, not the friendliest guy that I have encountered, um, both from a fan perspective and from a media perspective in Cincinnati. And, and man, it stinks to have to sit here on a show like this and not basically... He was uh, worn down, I feel like, by the game. It, he was it, worn it down it by may the have pressures, been, but light, he was everything. very difficult with fans in Cincinnati. Yeah. Very, which is, which very is weird. Like, I, I wonder, you know, Seattle embraced him. And, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about different elements. There were there were two moments in the documentary that I thought they were so tiny, Craig. And you, if you blinked, you almost might have missed them. The story that they he was telling about with his father when they were sitting in the dugout and uh, he said, you know, you got to take your kid inside. But Craig Nettles kid was taking ground balls at third base. Do you remember that part of the story? Where yes, I, senior? Yeah, I remember him. saying It was things. that part. And then there was the other little thing that if you blinked, you would have missed it, which is this reporter randomly asking him how Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, why are you so popular? And these guys sometimes not. He said, cause I smile. And he seemed like so effervescent when he said it. And he basically lost his smile at some point. And I can understand that. I think we can all understand how, you know, yeah, you, I mean, you feel he, like, I, I suppose he took a beating in the media and maybe, and maybe, that's part of it, Joe. I don't know the answer to it, but I always go back to the to my go-tos as it pertains to this sort of stuff. And and I have really easy go-tos. Uh, Derek Jeter, mm-hmm. who uh, was... L- listen, he may not say anything to you as a player that's going to, you know, rock your world, but he's always available. Right. He signs every autograph, mm-hmm. no matter if he's Derek Jeter in 93 or Derek Jeter in 2013. Didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mike Trout, Joe, is the same way, man. Mike Trout is phenomenal in the media. But Griffey was that same way in Seattle. It he, seems I, like... You know, I can't speak to that because, I look, I, I'm, I'm not I saw a lot that. of those clips. They were showing the clips of him even interacting with Yankee fans clip. saying, I'm never playing... No, I know, but he's, he's that clip where he's Please telling don't. Yankee fans, I'm never playing for the Yankees, and he's signing no, things, he's laughing. You cannot go by all that stuff. No, like, I, I... I got stories that go... I mean, I, can, I that go far beyond things that you would... You not know, sure. That, not appropriate for this show... We're PG thirteen. No, no they're not looking. And, and, and I'll tell you. And I'll tell you straight up. Like there are other things too. It's like if, if you didn't know any better, uh, you would. And I don't want to, you know, sully guys' names here. But if you didn't know any better, you would think that other players. Oh, they look so happy and they play with such joy. And then you get them behind the scenes. It's like not even close uh, to what you. Well, thought. but I think there's a different joy of playing as opposed to the other part of the game, which is dealing with the media, which is not fun. Like having I know, the same but when you get somebody like, to do a documentary, this is the same thing as Michael Jordan. When you get Ken Griffey Jr. and his whole family to sit there and do a documentary, they're not going to roast the guy. They're not going to have the stones to do what I'm doing right here because I can. Right. With, because I can I can give you the experience of what really the guy was like behind the scenes. Now, I didn't have personal – I mean, he played in a different division than the Marlins, so I didn't see him all the time. But in the times that I did and the experience that I had – uh, I, I wouldn't say anything negative about the guy, but I, I, you know, I know from a lot of fan experiences that he was a very difficult guy um, in his days in Cincinnati. And now I don't know what he was like in Seattle, but I can tell you this. I'm not going off what I saw in that documentary to make my decision. I'm 100 percent not. I'm not going to take uh, off the documentary. I, I'm more talk, taking off of what I saw in my lifetime of watching baseball, which is I saw a guy in the kingdom who seemed to 
have the world at his fingertips. Everybody loved him. He loved where he was. And then a guy that felt the strain of going closer because I think he said he wanted to live in well, he lived in Florida and he wanted to be closer. And then Cincinnati ended up being the place, which is weird because I was like, well, I, I don't understand. Do you want to live in Florida? Do you want to live in Cincinnati? What's going on? Like you're Ken Griffey Jr. You can't pick up and move your family to Seattle. Like why doesn't everyone want to move to Seattle? Like I, I was just trying to like wrap my mind around all of those things. And I understand it's complicated. I get it. But it just seemed like a guy that Kingdom Ken Griffey Jr., when that building went away from Safeco Field on, that seemed like a whole different guy. It seemed like a guy where the business of the game and the extracurricular things of life you know, started to creep in and it just, and it changed him. And I think that's fair. And to the extent it changed him again, everybody's got different opinions. You had more personal contact, obviously. So yeah, you can I speak mean, to look, it It's just, it's, I can't speak with everybody, but it's like, and, and a good example is David Ortiz. That's another one, right? David mm-hmm. Ortiz played for, you know, 25 years in the big leagues, right? Right. If, if somebody was to tell you, Hey Joe, and they did the documentary on David Ortiz, man, you know, everything that you saw on TV, it was all phony, man. This guy was just a total, you know, whatever. What you'd be like, no way. I don't know. <laughs> I would, I wouldn't with the media. I would think so, but, uh, but no, but David Ortiz is fine. He's very nice. But that's the point is that you can't always, it, it's, it's, it's not always what you see. And again, Griffey probably uh, in general hates people you know, like me, that because he had a lot of people in the media that were saying that he was always hurt and what he was going through in Cincinnati. So there's a part of me that that doesn't blame him if that indeed was the case. Uh, but I can and remember, I was at, you know, the game before and the game after he hit his 600th home run in Miami. There was a lot of experience with that. Also, you can get caught up in the moment in these documentaries and enjoy it. But you also can't miss out on the fact that they're they're asking somebody for a favor. They've asked Ken Griffey Jr. and his family oh, sure. for a favor. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, it's not, and it's not going to be painted. It, they painted. It was eighty yeah, you know positive. What? But then you look at things like Lawrence Taylor. That 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 I think it was. Uh, I want to say it was either an NFL one or thirty for thirty, or one of the two. That you know, it got real dark about LT, and like some guys are willing to go dark about themselves and tell the truth about things. Other guys. Not so much. And I think that's, you know, that's for them. They just, Some guys get to control but, their own legacy. The, and, and maybe perhaps the guys who go the darkest are the nicest, because I can tell you that LT is, is LT nice are the best guys I ever worked for with. I'll tell you what, you know. And, He's an amazing and, guy. So, yes. you know, it just goes to show you that's an example of actually I, an I, I that, that shows you more that. More than one occasion with LT. <laughs> now, now in, in the documentary, they showed all the injuries that Griffey had. I was happy they did that because that was a big part of the story. And I'm sure that they were going to go in there saying, hey, look, we have to tell the entire story, story of it and and listen they he lost a little. junior I mean, was my favorite he was my favorite player playing but but i was younger at the time and then you get older and then you get to see how these guys really are and again i don't have life experiences with them i don't leave with them with the ballpark but remember this is not just me like i've interacted with a no, lot of no, major league it's... players who would tell me things about players too you know so it's it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not it's not as easy as just looking at an opinion of somebody who's who's a documentarian that just decides to paint the picture of it by the way on a a uh, on an mlb network documentary i've seen a hundred of them i don't think i've ever watched one that's trashed anyone have you i haven't seen no them. no they're very glossy and i'll tell you what that's where i kind of give a little credit because the football life documentaries uh, in the nfl network side they get a little dark sometimes. They go into the places. They're again. They 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 try to caretake the legacy a little bit, but I think they're much more honest and self-effacing as opposed to some of the MLB stuff. But again, that's the two different uh, the yeah, spins and, and of the ball. Yeah, and it takes nothing away with Griffey as a player. He's he's probably the great. He, he and Bonds are the two greatest players that I've ever seen play like in person. I no question. I would agree it's with just, that. Yeah. This this this, uh, this smiling and guy Brett in Barbary. Seattle that's, that's was not the guy certain. that I saw in in Cincinnati, and and fans, by the way, who had any interaction with him, would tell you the same. That I'm certain of too, unfortunately. But uh, one of the greatest players that ever lived, no doubt. For a uh, you know unanimous Hall of Famer, all of it um, changed the game without it. And he wasn't even a unanimous Hall of Famer. <laughs> no. All right, we'll be right back to wrap it up after. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
later on in the week, we'll have Matt Sells on from Fantasy Alarm to preview this coming week's NASCAR race. Of course, they wrapped up their race yesterday, and uh, Joe, uh, fortunately, there was a really good moment, I thought, yesterday of solidarity before the race as Bubba Wallace uh, lined up with all of the uh, drivers uh, in unison to show their solidarity and how they feel uh, toward him. It's never going to erase what happened uh, the day before where essentially, in case you missed it, uh, somebody placed uh, a noose or a fake noose uh, in or near his car. And, and for those of you who didn't hear or see the story, uh, this is truthful. This is what happened in an unfortunate uh, state of un very, very abhorrent racism that happened. But uh, we can fast forward from that to how all the drivers feel about him and all the comments that of the people who have uh, made comments saying how strongly they feel and they uh, stand up for uh, Bubba Wallace, a man who doesn't even need any standing up for. But it just does go to show you we got a lot of um, a lot of you know catching up to do in this country before <clears throat> everything is right. I mean, we've made you know some strides, I feel like, but you know, clearly not enough. It's 2020, Craig. I can't believe we're having this conversation in 2020. I can't believe that can't somebody, believe somebody would do that. I can't believe somebody would do that. That 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 you know what what is you're trying to accomplish here? You're trying to intimidate this guy. You think it's funny? I mean, there's there's nothing funny about it. There's there's and, and you know what? It's it's so low class. It's so abhorrent. Uh, it's just it's so distasteful and so unnecessary. I don't understand why you have to belittle someone else. Uh, about their race in order to make yourself feel better about you or the color of your skin. Like, I don't know what that says about you. It says a lot more about that other person that says about Bubba. And I think he handled as best he could. I think it was a great sign of solidarity to have everyone together there like that. And, um, you know, NASCAR has, I think, a ways to go here with this, clearly, because I'm sure there's a lot of the fan base, too, that, you know, will still, you know, kind of underneath some of that. We saw a driver a couple weeks ago pull out a NASCAR because of, you know, the different uh, political stances they've taken. But I don't think it's a radical political stance to, to say we should all treat each other with respect and equally. I, I just it doesn't seem that radical to me, Greg. I know maybe I'm maybe I'm naive, but it seems like the simple, most basic human thing that we can all do. We judge each other on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. This is a very simple thing. I have run into many people in my life from many different places, many different countries, many different universes in terms of of where they've brought up, been brought up and how. And I consider myself very fortunate to have been exposed to that many different types of people, different sexual orientations, different uh, nationalities, all sorts of different people. And I consider myself very blessed in that sense. And I understand that's not for everybody. Everybody, most people, you look, you kind of live in your little corner of the world and you don't quite get uh, as much exposure to the rest of the world living in certain places. And I think that that's difficult. So the best thing to do is continue to educate people, continue to get them to understand that this is, you know, doing things like this, this is, what is this doing? This isn't moving anything forward. This isn't helping society. It's it's pulling people back into something from the 60s and pre-60s, back into, you know, the Jim Crow era and all these things. It's just, it's mind-blowing. It's 2020. And someone had the audacity to even do this act and I'm glad that everybody stood up for it and it was the right thing to do. But I'm just super depressed at the same time and I can't get past that it happened in the first place. Like, why is it still happening now? It's crazy to me. Yeah, no, it is. And um, hopefully yesterday was a message from all of the drivers in NASCAR and that picture that uh, Bubba Wallace posted that we'll try to move forward from this. A uh, couple other stories in uh, actually the Northeast yesterday. Uh, we'll start off with the Mets story, which essentially looks like, Joe, that uh, a, a gentleman uh, looks like he may be interested in buying the New York Mets. He's the same one that uh, had vitamin water and ended up selling it to uh, Coke many years ago. And A-Rod a and uh, J-Lo apparently are involved potentially in this sale. Um, this was reported originally, I believe, by Darren Rovell. And uh, Mike Francesa tweeted out yesterday as well that Repoli wants to have complete control of the Mets. <laughs> Uh, should he take it over? But honestly, at this point, I think if you're a Mets fan, you'll take anyone. Um, yes. So I think that's anyone. probably a good sign. Like, I, I don't think that there is anything negative to this story. Most people are just so tired of uh, of the Wilpons at this Ugh. point that they would like to see somebody new in there. I don't know what this will all mean. It will be interesting for us. It creates 
good content for us. Um, you know, having a Rod in some way. I mean, my guess is a Rod is going to want the you know Derek Jeter's role as CEO. Hey, he grew up a Mets fan. I can understand that. And Brett's right. Almost went to the Mets. Free us is the best thing that we could possibly say. I, I, I think I think a change is needed, and and I think that the, the, I would guess the Wilpons realize this too. Now it's absolutely uh, the best time ever to buy a baseball team. The worst time <laughs> ever to sell. I would guess, but I am telling you now, the Mets are going to get sold, Joe. It's going to be $2 billion, man. It's gonna Oh, of course. Well, if they're a New York franchise, it's not going to be any less than that. If it's Mike Repley, I don't care if it's A-Rod. I don't care if it's J-Lo. I don't care if it's, it's Houday. I don't care who buys the Mets. Somebody, please, look, this is my personal, this is my platform here. I have two hours every day on your television screen or your phone screen or wherever you watch this show. To make a plea, and I'm making a plea. Wilpon's dear, dear Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon, please, enough is enough. Please release us, release us from the embarrassment of the ownership that has been the New York Mets for the better part of my lifetime. Ever since Nelson Doubleday got out, it's been pretty much downhill for the most part. It's been embarrassing. The Bernie Madoff stuff, the other thing. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. And I'll tell you what, if it's the vitamin water guy, I'll start drinking vitamin water. Right on this show every day, I will have a bottle of vitamin water. And I would just I'll happily drink it, even flavors that I don't even like, like weird flavors where you're like, why are you putting that berry with that other fruit? That's right. weird. I, I don't like when people do that. I will get over it if that's what it takes. I And now, you know what? You're in. I will, I'm going to tell you right now. We're going to do this on the show. You find the strangest flavor of vitamin water when this deal goes through and you and I are still doing the show he together. He sold vitamin water, by the way. Well, I don't care. I don't care. What, no. Whatever drink he's doing, if that's how he made his money, you find the weirdest flavor of vitamin water. I will drink it here on the show, and I will do it with a smile on my face, and it will kind of be the, the – celebration for you? It will be the celebration. It will be the the cleansing, as it were, of, of the ownership of the Wilpons. That's what I need. That's what our producer Brett needs. That's what all the Met fans need. We need to move on from this because at a certain point, I want to feel good about myself as a baseball fan again, and this will go a long way. Uh, you know, of all the frustrations we have in Major League Baseball, selling my Mets to anyone would go a very long way to me feeling better and more excited about baseball. I can tell you right now, it changes my perspective on a dime. I go, okay, because you can't compound I think the you're embarrassment. Gonna get it. You can't compound the embarrassment and frustration of being a Met fan with the embarrassment of Major League Baseball at the same time. Like it's just too much. I can't handle it. It's too much for me. I don't want it. I can't do it. Right. But at least you sell the Mets. Okay. I, I'll, I'll tell you something that A Rod has got to come to grips with, and you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and Derek Jeter. Good luck. I, could, I can speak to the Marlins situation. Okay. okay? All right. So, yeah. so Derek Jeter essentially does make all the day-to-day decisions uh, on the Marlins. He's the chief operating officer um, of the of the Miami Marlins. But the person who uh, put most of the money down, or fifty percent of the money down, is a gentleman by the name of Bruce Sherman. And uh, while Jeter does have the control, you know, unless you have like, and and Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman had a really good relationship and a very good understanding going in, and essentially uh, Jeter chose Bruce Sherman as opposed to anybody else because he knew that he would be able to make the decisions. A-Rod's got to get over that. I mean, if if he's only putting 5% of his own money and this guy Repoli's putting 60, you could, I mean... He's not he's not going to be able to make the decision unless they have this crazy good relationship that I'm unaware of. This guy, Repoli, is going to be the one making the decisions. They're going to make A-Rod the CEO or they'll give him a president type. And then, you know, what's going to happen? A-Rod's going to be out. I'm telling you now. This, I, this I, is I the way care. it happens. I, I don't care. You don't, you're not worried about the interest. I can't okay. get worse. It can, Fine. You know, dude, I lived through the Bernie Madoff scandal with the Mets. You know what kind of embarrassment that is? That, that ownership of that level didn't understand there was what a press conference scheme? was Bernie Madoff at with the Mets. Which one was that? Oh, I don't know. You're sitting in the, they invited him. He sat I, in the front row. I probably, forget yeah, was. yeah, it was. He by the way, somebody. By the way, did you ever see that movie Wizard of Lies with Robert De Niro playing Bernie Madoff on HBO? Pretty good. Yeah, it was good. Pretty good. Uh, all right. I hate to stick with the Northeast here, but we're going to have to do it again uh, to end the show here. I'd love to go back to Florida. Brett, actually, our producer, could speak to this more or less. But uh, the New York Knicks uh, look <laughs> like they're closing in. On their new uh, their new coach, potentially, they looks like they want Jason Kidd, who, of course, had a cup of coffee, a strange cup of coffee. We really need Brett to just host this segment, honestly. Uh, <laughs> why, he, why he didn't work out with him in Brooklyn, no one will ever know for sure. I thought he was a pretty good coach there. Yeah. Uh, but, but speaking of the Knicks, you know, are they chasing a guy 
you know, they, they've chased the guy at the top with Phil Jackson with the greatest winning percentage. They'll chase a guy at the bottom and, you know, make him young and build him up. Well, Jason Kidd fits right in because he's a 500 coach. Perfect. There you go. Well, look, they goes four years. Think with about Milwaukee. all the coaches they've coveted all the way back to like Larry Brown. I remember them coveting Larry Brown. Larry Brown, they remember the best. They go they for the young, the worst. Now they're around. going right for the middle here. Now, Kidd is a, is a coach with the Lakers, so they'll have to wait. Uh, but he he definitely got a lot of good accolades, I know, in Brooklyn as a coach. But, um, you know, certainly with Milwaukee, I don't know how good his teams really were. Giannis really wasn't Giannis until the last couple of years. His best season was 42-40 and 40 with uh, the Bucks, And um, they were 2-4 and four in the playoffs with him. His overall playoff record, 9-15. and 15. His overall winning percentage is 4-91. He was much better with Brooklyn than he was uh, with the Bucks. So, look, it's the Knicks. We'll see. Jason Kidd's a Hall of Fame player. He was a great point guard. Uh, you know, these are the days where instead of Bill Fitch and Doug Moe, we're recycling old NBA players as coaches, Joe. Like, that's kind of what we're doing here at this yeah, point. So. which is kind of funny. Like, wh- what happened to those? Like, what, <laughs> what happened to those guys that used to watch coach NBA games that you thought could never play NBA basketball? I mean, like, you now know, they all, all now they're all coaches. Now they're yeah. all ex like great. Like, do you remember those? That era was amazing. Very true. You know, like you look at Jeff Van Gundy, you look at Cotton Fitzsimmons, you look at some of these guys. Del Harris. Like, like these guys could never play basketball. This guy never picked up basketball in their life. But some of them were great. Back, you know, Chuck Daly. I know played basketball, but I don't never look at Chuck Daly today. You know, it is crazy to think about that. I here we go. We're in a spot here. Jason Kidd is a guy that I personally like a lot. I've dealt with him a lot in my life. A terrific guy. So I'm wishing him the best, but I, I want to tell him that I don't think this is a good idea. Like, I don't know if you want to take it this job. It doesn't usually end well, but it maybe it will in this case. No Be coaching job Maybe this is well. the time. But the Knicks, another team, the ownership. I mean, it's just the, the embarrassment. Well, of them. Yeah, I think I think they're getting it straight. I think they're yeah, I think so. I do. I think that they're going to start to turn it around, and they're going to start to turn it around right now. Because I we hope so. Get out of here. I hope we so. got to get out of here. That's yeah, the end right. of our show today. Um, thanks again to Brett, Danny, and Ryan. Uh, for putting our show together. Don't forget, you can catch us every day, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. right here on SportsGrid, over on SportsGrid Radio. Uh, make sure you catch Scott Wetzel. His brand-new show is on every every day, 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Eastern. Scott Farrell on our radio side, on SportsGrid, also on our TV side, going coast-to-coast the morning after, early line. we got coverage for you, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, a lot of sports betting, but a lot of sports personality as well. So hopefully you guys are enjoying everything that you're watching here on sports grid that's the, that'll do it for this edition of fantasy sports today joe and i will be back tomorrow morning 11 a.m same place same time right here on sports grid hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow see ya sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com